I am Jen Wilson, author and body, mind and soul coach. Welcome to the I Am podcast, where we explore who you are. Hello, it is Jen from IamJenWilson.com. Today's podcast is with Tracy Lee McKeegan. I have known Tracy since 2013, 2014. We were at uni together doing our sport and exercise science degree. And Tracy Lee was diagnosed with endometriosis a couple of years ago. And I wanted to get her on because she just started a new Instagram page, Fit Girl with Endo. And she is sharing her journey and her experience and trying to help people find the positives that you can pull out of living with a chronic illness. And we talk a lot about the process of diagnosis, the experiences that she's had with the endo and how they can vary so much from one person to another. Talk about how that impacts our mental health. Talk about what it's like living with a chronic condition as both of us have had to change how we live our lives in the last few years. So we have, although we both have different conditions, diagnoses, we both have very similar journeys in the realisation of what has happened to us, the realisation of how things are going to look like going forward and... Just the journey itself, where we can get support, where we don't get support, where we feel like the system kind of fails, but we want to be the ones that can help pick up. Because obviously, the systems that we have in place at the moment with the NHS are amazing, 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 but they are limited to what they can do. And the number of people nowadays that have chronic conditions is the system can't cope. So there has to be a way to pick up the pieces and both myself and Tracy Lee with the work that we do in and around that we want to to be a, a shimmer of hope and a shimmer of light for people um, to know that all is not lost if you are diagnosed with a chronic condition. So I just love Tracy Lee. Um, she is, I always see her as somebody who is super positive and inspiring she will have a different variation of that story of what, how she actually experienced life over the last couple of years, which love her honesty and openness about the, the journey. So check this out. If you know anybody who is suffering with endometriosis or somebody who is being fobbed off with the pill or not being, or being told that what they're experiencing isn't significant or... There is no uh, diagnosis for what's going on with them. Maybe send them this podcast so that they can have a listen and hopefully it can help answer some of their questions. And as always, if you love the podcast, please, 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 please give us um, star ratings, love hearts, whatever it is that you're listening to this. Subscribe to the show so that you never miss an episode. Share it with your friends, your family, anybody at all that you think would get a benefit from listening to this podcast. And if you want to be on, you send me an email, jen at iamjenwilson.com because I love to speak to people and love to hear people's stories and everybody has a story that's worth telling. All right, enjoy. 
Hello, welcome to another podcast. This week I have Tracy Lee on with me. Tracy McKeegan. 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 Yeah, you said that right. Must have been right. Um, so Tracy, welcome to the podcast. Super excited to have you here because we've known each other in passing for quite a while. We went to we were in third year at uni together. Yeah, we went to uni together, so that was what two thousand and thirteen. Yeah, I think so. It's a long time ago. Yeah, and then we just, because we work in the same industry, we kind of pass pass each other, like, in the gym or on social media and stuff like that. So we have we have an idea of each other's lives and each other's stories. So why don't you not introduce yourself and what it is that you do currently? So um, my name is Tracy Lee. I get called TL, so you might know me as TL more likely. I, at the moment, have my own business um, and I specialise in female training. Um, so health and fitness coach um, with women, only like to train women. And I also have a job in Glasgow University as well, where I do active lifestyle teacher. So that's a kind of different section for me. Um, and I do a bit of coaching. So I'm like, I do a bit of everything, but that's what you need to do in this industry. Um, no. <laughs> you have your finger everywhere, especially with lockdown, but no, that's me. That's what I'm up to at the moment. Brilliant. So one of the reasons I had asked you to come on to the podcast was to talk about your journey over the last couple of years. Um, you just recently started a new Instagram account to share your story and your journey, but it can sometimes be really useful to get all the information can sort of condensed into one space so that people can then go oh I want to know more and then start following you to find out how things grow and develop from there yeah do you want to talk a bit about that yeah so the Instagram page that you're talking about I called it um fit girl with endo so I was diagnosed with endometriosis um which I'll go into in a wee bit more detail in 2017 um while I was in Australia I then come home to Scotland in 2018 because I had to have surgery um, and in the last two years um, I've battled a lot with just dealing with the fact I guess that I've got an illness I thought I was going to get surgery and be better but actually after my surgery it was I was told like I was stage four and it was kind of chronic so I battled a lot and I didn't really speak about it to anyone and then I kind of started suffering a bit of anxiety um, and I I started kind of chatting about it on my business page, like my TL Fitness page. And then I kind of felt like lately, I'm like, that's not the place to be talking about it because not everyone wants to read about the ins and outs here and the bad days or the good days. So that was why I then created the Instagram page, which I think I only did about two weeks ago. And I've had like so many folk messaging me and commenting on me. And I, I actually now am thinking I should have done it much sooner um, because I would... I did it more for myself as like an outlet um, to help with the anxiety side of things and just to help me have somewhere to put it out. But also I want to help raise awareness about it and I just want to let more people know about it because, yeah. you know, even if I speak to females, it's a female issue, but if I speak to females, most people don't even know what it is. Yeah. So that was my idea of the separate Instagram account. Yeah. So why don't you explain then what Endo is for people including myself. I, I know a little bits of it, but it's not my That's idea. Right. So everyone, um, I'm not going to say everyone, I won't say it like that, but it's not a bad period. So everyone, or let's not say everyone. <laughs> a lot of folk think it's a bad period, but that's just actually a symptom. Um, it's actually tissue. So you've got tissues within like the lining, 
and start in, you've got tissues within your womb so it's like the lining of it so basically that comes out and detaches onto other parts of your body mm-hmm. so what this tissue can then do is become adhesions and it causes like scar tissue that which then pulls like your organs together mm-hmm. um so for me for example talk about me because everybody's i should probably say straight away that everyone has different symptoms not every person who has this will be the same um, so for me, like when I came out of my surgery and they told me where it had been, it had been like um, fallopian tubes, it was on my sciatic nerve, I had blocked the valves on my bladder. So like for about a year prior to my surgery, I was constantly bursting for the toilet and I would go to the toilet and I'd still be bursting and they checked me for like UTIs um, all of that sort of thing and they couldn't figure it out. And then when I was in my surgery, they realised that my valve was blocked. So when I had been going to the toilet, it was only like letting some out. Yeah. Um, it was also on my bill and the biggest probably side effect that it had was it created like ovarian cysts. So I had like massive, massive cysts and stuff. Um, I'd say the probably the biggest thing that affected me, although it wasn't the most severe of it, is that it being attached to my sciatic nerve. Mm-hmm. Um, for about a year prior to my surgery, I couldn't squat. Like I couldn't do that kind of hinge position or going down into a squat or anything. Um, I'd seen a few physios because obviously not thinking that it was endo related. Yeah. Um, was told a few different things like my spine is to do with the bottom of my spine, like my digs, discs were de- degenerating and things. But actually when I had my surgery, they found that it was on my nerve and that was what was causing me not to be able to do all, all those movements. Yeah. So that's a little bit of kind of insight into like how endo, it basically spreads like through, it can spread throughout your body. I don't have it personally, but I've heard of folk having cases of it in like the liver. And it does do things like, at the moment, for example, um, at the start of lockdown, stress seems to make it better and make it worse. I wish it made it better. (laughs) (laughs) If only, eh? (laughs) That would be be great. Um, Stress seems to make it worse. And I don't know, a lot of what I know, I've probably similar to you with your issues. Um, I've done a lot of my own research because there's nobody really out there to help you. You're kind of given your surgery, you're told this is what's wrong with you and you're left. And I think that was the biggest battle for me because I had nobody to turn to. Um, so I've done a lot of research and like there's so much out there in the sense that, so with the stress, I was really stressed at the start of lockdown because probably should everyone was. Yeah. Um, and I had a really bad flare up. So what happened with this flare up is um, basically flared up so bad with my endo that I was like bleeding really heavy. I was getting pains down my legs. I was getting sciatica again, but it's then pulled my pelvis out of place. So for four months, because I've not been able to see anyone, my pelvis has been out of place. Yeah. Um, so things like that, it's just obviously the adhesions, just the scar tissue, just pulling everything about. Um, so it's not just a bad period, yeah. um, which people think it is. Um, it causes things like, I don't know if you can particularly see at the moment, but I've got suffer with acne. Um, that started when I was 33, I'm now nearly 36, and got acne when I was 33 years old. It's just hormonal. Um, yeah. It is better now. It's been better since my surgery, but it still does come and go. Um, it's like on my shoulders and my back and stuff as well. Um, and migraines. I was getting migraines where I was like numb down one side of my face and my arm. Um, and it was just yeah. me for like a week and stuff at a time. Um, so that was one of the other symptoms. But fortunately, touching wood, um, since my surgery, that's one of the symptoms that I've not had at all. Yeah. I've had another migraine. Don't want to jinx myself here. <laughs> did they just come on when you started getting unwell like when the symptoms started to come up have you always suffered from migraines um I would say I've probably kind of always had them 
like around the time of my cycle. I can't really pinpoint when they started. I remember getting them in the one time that I can really remember um, vividly is getting them in fourth year of uni when we were doing my dissertation, but I thought it was stress. Yes. Um, but then as the time went on, I started kind of linking things because it takes, I think for me personally, so it's 2020, I was diagnosed in 2017, but my symptoms started in 2015. Yeah. Um, and it started with, so I was on the pill and I took a pill where you take it for 21 days and you stop for seven days. So yeah. I was for years, I was on it for years and I always got my period in that seven days. It was quite light, regular, never missed a period. And then strangely, um, I went away traveling in 2014, tail end of 2014 and my period started like messing up. But I was just like, well, I'm in a new country, I'm backpacking, I'm just going to put it down to that. And it was like that for a good like nine months. And then it just stopped completely. So although I was still taking the pill, it just stopped completely. Didn't have anything for about six months. Um, and then I started getting like severe, which at the time, I laugh about this now, I thought I had appendicitis. Like it was just severe pain in my side and I was like doubled over and stuff. And then that's when I started going and getting tests and things like that. Um, but I've totally lost what I'm saying, Jen. I do that as well. Like, because I remember you saying you saying you're telling me about your travels and when you went to Australia and when the symptoms, like when you think the symptoms started coming in. And I just realised what I was going to say. So they tell you that it takes seven and a half seven and a half years for them to diagnose you. So if I'm like going back five years, but then. And I'm saying I think my symptoms started then. I I possibly think my symptoms, so endometriosis has been, has been found in kids as young as nine. Jesus. Uh-huh. Um, it seems to come into play in most people around the age of 12, but it's not found until people are maybe in their 20s and 30s. Yeah. So I, five years ago, was like 29, 30, say. Um, but I was put on the pill by my doctor when I was a teenager because my periods were so bad. So I don't know, and I don't know, it's just my own opinion where I'm like, was that just masking that that whole time? I was, I was like a teenager, I was only like 14 or something, I was in school, yeah. and I was missing school, like, because I was floored in my bed, my mum was taking me back and forward to the doctors, and I remember it, and that was, it was the only option they basically kept giving us. Yeah. Because I was missing so much of school, I remember my mum saying, like, okay, we'll try it, and then I was 14, so I've been on, I was on the pill for like 16 years. Um, One of the reasons that I came off the pill was when I first got diagnosed with Crohn's, I was reading up about how long-term use of oral contraceptions can have an impact on your gut microbiome, which is then going to have an impact on everything, because we now know what the gut microbiome can do. So I came off the pill, and when I started doing a bit more research into it, and it was like, oh, if you've been on the pill for prolonged periods of time, it can mask symptoms of... And there was a whole, this huge list of things. And I was just like, oh, this yeah. is interesting. And when I spoke to my consultant about it and I had said about coming off the pill, he was like, oh, I'd rather you didn't just yeah. now because we want to see if the medication works. And I was like, but this could be one of the contributing factors to why I have this condition. Yeah. So, oh, well, there's not enough, in, there's not enough research. It's funny <laughs> you say that because I... Obviously, when this was all happening and I was coming back to the UK and stuff, I, I was still taking it because I didn't think about the pills being a bad part in it at that time. Yeah. It was when I came back and I started seeing doctors here. I saw, 
and I hate to say this, but I saw four male doctors and they all changed my pill. So within six months, I'd been putting four different pills because they kept saying it was my pill. So even although I had been tested and told in Australia what was wrong with me, they were telling me here that I just had to change my pill. Um, and I changed it because obviously you think these people know better than you. Um, and at this point, which was only two years ago, I didn't know as much as I know now yeah. about endometriosis. So I changed the pill. I did it three times. I changed it three times. So it was like my fourth pill. And then when I went back, they basically were trying to change it again. And that's when I was like, no, do you know what? I don't, I don't want to be on anything. And I, they disagreed with that, but I took myself off of it. And I was off it for about six months before my surgery. And in that six months, um, certain symptoms were better, but certain symptoms were worse. So like I wasn't getting as many migraines or if I was, they weren't as bad. My skin got worse, to be fair, which can happen. Um, I was bleeding a lot, but I was bleeding a lot anyway. So I don't know whether that was because I was coming off the pill. Um, I went through, sorry to the folk listening to this, but I went through three new mattresses in 2018 because I was literally like saturated. Um, so I think like coming coming off the pill was a good thing. Um, just I think this might sound silly, but you might get this if you got this. I think being on the pill for a long time really suppressed my emotions, I think. <sighs> Hundred percent. Because in the last like two years, um, I feel like I'm this emotional person, and do you know, it sounds silly, but I'm like I could maybe cry at something now, and I'm like, see, two or three years ago, I didn't ever. I was never like that. Like I just seem like I've now got all these floods of emotions that I never had. I feel like before it just pill definitely masked like my emotions. Yeah, it stabilizes your hormones and put gives you a new plateau, so you don't ever overly upregulate or downregulate and I remember when I first came off going oh my god like now I know what people are talking about when they say that when you've got your period feeling this way and when you when you're not on your period feeling this way and experiencing this wave throughout the month and I'm like what's wrong with me but it was because I had it had been suppressed and stabilized because that tiny 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 little tablet gives you whatever amount of hormones is so that you don't ovulate so that you're, you're not getting this fluctuation of hormones throughout the month. Totally, totally get it. Um, and do you know, you've just um, said something there about how you feel when you get your period, like you get those emotions and up and down. And I'm going back to you asking me what endo is and I'm into all this kind of terminology, but do you know the best description I, can, I, came, I came up with last year? I remember being in the office in the uni and one of the... Um, girls I work with was um, going on about having PMT and she was like stressed and all that um, and my reply to her was that try getting it every day and now this is when I first realised it because people would always ask me what it is and I find it hard to explain to somebody what it is when they've never experienced it but yeah. like see when you get your period see how you feel those few days before it and you feel during it and you feel after it I get a mix of those basically every day so one day like today I've woke up and I've got bad cramp and I've started bleeding but I wasn't due yeah. yesterday and yeah and, and, I, and I, I track it because I feel like it helps me mentally but I'm not due so even if I look at what I've tracked like for me yesterday I was like starving and I said this is when I know and I was like I really want chocolate I went and got some chocolate um and then I'm like I must be going to bleed and I always say I must be going to bleed and people will be like which period and I'm like well it's a period but I'm also bleeding but that's a good way to explain it in the sense that because then people will be like or what's feel like that often and I'm like pretty much like there might be like so if I have a bleed now for a few days there'll be a few days where I don't feel like that and then it'll be the whole same thing again of I feel a bit emotional I feel it's like this constant 
there's no yeah. settling. Although, since it's my almost son- like your cycle's on hyper. Constant. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. It's like um, since surgery, though, I don't um, bleed anywhere near as much, and I did get. Um, I wasn't sure about it, but I did get the coil fitted when I had my surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, they recommended getting it fitted because it apparently stops endometriosis growing. I don't really, again, at the time, I was willing to try anything because I was barely getting out of bed three, four days out of the week. So I was willing to try anything to stop the bleeding and stuff. Um, I don't know. It's not. It's never stopped it. Um, it's definitely slowed down, but I don't know now in my head. I'm like, is that because of the coil or is that because I had surgery? Because I got that fitted. Yeah, because I did at the same time. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Um, but it's got no the one I've got's like got nothing in it basically. So I'm like happy to keep it just now. Um, but I don't know that might change as well. Yeah. I think they just they, they're very quick to doctors and stuff. Um, to just give out prescriptions and stuff like that. Which I kind of wish now if I'd known more about it, I might have got surgery and then if that didn't help, I might have looked at getting a coil after that, you know? So I would have known what the difference was. But it seems to have worked for now. Like, I think the coil with most folk um, stops them them completely bleeding, but with endometriosis, it won't stop it. Um, So I still do, but it's definitely not as bad. Yeah. So is that their best option for a cure, is doing the surgery and fitting the coil? Um, yeah, so there's no cure at all. There's two different types of surgery you can get, and this is something I didn't know either at the time. You'll be, you'll, you'll agree with me because you've probably learned so much more about your own stuff. <laughs> so I got a laparoscopy, and it's called excision. So they just basically burn off all the adhesions, which means that where it started is still there, so they can grow back yeah. at any point. So they say they put the coil in because the coil stops the growth, but I've not really came across any research to say that, so I'm, I can't speak for that. But there is a, there is another surgery you can get. I can't remember if they call it incision. Something slightly different, but they basically cut, cut it completely out. But you can't get it done in the UK, as far as I'm aware. So I guess, like, um, if, for me, I'm like, if I ever... My symptoms now are better since surgery, um, but I also don't know how I'm going to be every day when I get out of bed so like today I'm like I said you've got a wee bit of cramp and I've had a bit of bleed but I can walk completely fine for six weeks in lockdown I couldn't really stand out my bed I could barely walk because my pelvis and everything was totally so obviously it's still out of place but the pain's not as bad anymore just in so much pain like I couldn't even go into like a downward dog position because being up like that was putting so much pressure on above my SI joint so I guess what I'm trying to say is I don't know how how I'm going to be every day. So I go to bed and I could be completely fine. I wake up the next day and I can't walk. Yeah. That's the biggest probably battle for me and there's nobody out there to help you with that. But although that still happens, other symptoms like the bleeding so much better. So, you know, my iron levels are up and I can kind of a bit function because in 2018, I thought I was like losing the plot or something. I just, I wasn't. The only way I can explain it is I wasn't quite there in my head half the time, but it's because my iron and everything was so low. Um, I had to get two blood transfusions as well in 2018, so I don't think that um, the iron being that low is, is obviously not good for you at all. Yeah, yeah. It's one of those minerals that has a knock-on effect to so many, yeah. so many other things. And when you've got inflammation in your body, particularly around the area of the bowel, your body can't absorb nutrients. So anything that you're eating is just coming straight out the other end. It's mm-hmm. like, what's the point? <laughs> I 
And it's it's funny because it's something else we are. Before I had um, endo, so you know when you're on the pill, um, they need to take your, they do your blood pressure, don't they? I can't even remember now. They do your blood pressure and everything like that. I think every three months or whatever, every six months. And um, I've got vivid um, recognition, vivid memories of like going in, and they always told me my blood was low and. I've been tested for like low iron and they'll be like, oh, you're not anemic, but so if you know much about, you know much about iron, so it's like between one and 20 is anemic and then above that it's not. But if you're sitting at 22, you're yeah. not classed as anemic, but you're, but you basically are. Yeah. yeah. So like for me, that, that was my whole life. I ran at sitting around 22, 24 and my blood pressure was really low. But so then bringing that back to my end, I'm like, has it been sitting there for longer and nobody's really, the, the pill was masked? No. Yeah. Nobody's known. Yeah, they have not joined the dots to do it. Mm-hmm. So do they know what causes it? Nah, there's no, like, they don't really know. And they say, like, I was saying to you, like, it can start from when you're young, um, mm-hmm. but it doesn't come out or it won't show its head until you're kind of 20s and 30s. But what's interesting is um, my mum, when she was in her 30s, um, had a similar surgery. They never diagnosed her with anything, but for about five years, she was the same as me, constantly bleeding, losing a lot of blood, getting blood transfusions. Um, she was severely anemic, like worse than what I ever was with that. Um, and they never diagnosed her with anything, because obviously I'm going back like years now, but they gave her a surgery where it, it helped it. Um, she never really had any problems after that. But when I've obviously told my doctors about this, they say that this isn't her, um, it's not hereditary, so it couldn't have come from anywhere. But everything like even I'm not particularly close to my mum but when I do speak to her everything is the same it's the exact same so I'm like yeah. it sounds like the exact same thing um yeah. and if they don't know a cause then how can they rule out that's what but I think there, there must be some sort of gene mutation because that's I mean this is similar with Crohn's they don't know what causes it but there's a there's a belief that there's a gene mutation and then not everybody with that gene mutation is going to experience the symptoms what's happened in your life so I'm currently like for the last two days and then again tonight I'm doing a an online retreat with Gabor Mate and it's the wisdom of trauma and this is what he talks about because he's done a book called when the body says no he said people can have this gene to say that you're going to get cancer or you're going to get this or you're going to get that but there are lots of people who don't get sick and there are lots of people who do and then there's people who don't have the gene and they get sick and it can be some experience that happened maybe before you were even born that happened in the womb or it's an experience that's happened that's caused trauma in your body which then changes your lifestyle your approach there's lots of little dots that get connected and that can then manifest as an illness that's interesting that's really like i love stuff like that it's so fascinating yeah so you like, totally read when the body says no. This book is like going to write that down. <laughs> when the body says yeah. no, Aye, when the definitely. body says no. Um, and Gabor Matty, he has got there's hundreds of his lectures online. Like check out his his stuff. His stuff. Um, because I'm I'm doing this retreat and I've got a wee jotter. I got one one of these wee jotters and I'm only three days into a four day retreat and I've only got like four pages left at the end into the jotters just like like notes 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 all the way through it but it's the stuff you see and you're just like oh my god that's a good sign now you've got all that to go back and read oh and work to do 
Um, just what you mentioned, like other um, illnesses and stuff as well. There, like they're actually research now. If you look up Endo, they're saying that it's basically like on par with um, what cancer patients experience. Mm. Not everyone's because there's different stages. Like there's stage one to four, four being like the worst. Um, but they're saying it has similar like it's similar attributes where it has like, like Endo has the ability to spread through your body anywhere. Yeah. It's the same thing, but they can't. They've not got any sort of cure for it. I guess that's the same as cancer as well. Yeah, I see my Crohn's. Crohn's can appear. I don't know like too much about that, Jen. Re- <coughs> Excuse me. Originally, like the stuff that I had been reading, originally said it can occur anywhere from through the digestive tract, from anywhere from mouth to anus. But I was talking to one of my friends at the hospital on Tuesday when we were in getting an infusion, and it was a girl I went to college with, and she was saying that she, she had Crohn's on her skin. Wow. And I was like, I did not know that you could get that. Like, which is like, yeah, it can apparently appear just anywhere at all. And again, it's something that they don't know. They say they don't know what the cause is. They don't have a cure for it. And it's just medication to suppress symptoms. So did, did you, if you don't mind me asking, did you just start having problems with that? just appeared one day as well, similar to me? Yeah. Bodies, the bodies. I don't want to say it's strange. It's fascinating. It's a fascinating. It's fascinating. <laughs> fascinating is the word I use. <laughs> I reckon you'll probably agree with me with this. The hardest thing I think for me to deal with was I was, I, I still am a try and be, I was always, I was probably more so then like super fit and healthy, um, probably more aware of what, I, and, this, and this sounds strange, I was probably more strict in my nutrition before my surgery than mm. I am now. I still eat healthy, but I never ever once in my life thought I was going to get ill. And then all of a sudden, you bypass that kind of midpoint of having something that's wrong with you as and now you've got something that's wrong with you for life. Yeah. And you're like, how does that happen when you've been so fit and healthy your whole life? Um, so my thought process has kind of changed now and going back to the eating is that, yeah, I still do eat healthy, but I probably eat more of the foods that I want now because I'm like, well, do you know what? I was that person who was super fit and healthy and I still got ill. So yeah. now, now I'm going to eat more pizza. I'm going to <laughs> I'm going to have chocolate if I want it. Do you know what I mean? Like totally. I used to be like really strict in the sense that, oh, do you know what? It's not Saturday, so I can't have chocolate or I can't have pizza because I only do that on a Saturday. And now I'm like, God, it's Monday and I want a pizza. I'm just getting a pizza. Yeah, I think one some of the work that I've done over the, the last four years around that is what I realised was I used to deprive myself a lot. It was that, that deprivation. Yeah. And that, that suppresses and causes stress so for some for if you go do you know what I really want a cake today because that's a stress relief and you don't give yourself that then you've suppressed that stress and that stress then stays in the body and I spoke about recently um talking about stress and what I, I mean I used to teach 20 plus classes a week while Same. we were at uni yeah <laughs> and it was like impact as well if you're oh, jumping about and high intensity Sweating, sweating, go, go, go. And I was living on adrenaline and you would have been this. Yeah, and then you can do your own training as well. Yep. Yep. It's just so, it's too much. It's that there's this there's your baseline stress level. I mean, we learned about this shit at uni and you were like, Oh yeah, rigged an essay about that. But you never think about it to yourself because you're like, No, I'm fit and healthy, I'm strong, I'm I eat really well and blah blah blah. But then when you are creating these really restrictive and over-intense environments for yourself. When I started looking at that, and I hardly slept either because I lived on adrenaline. I'd be teaching classes till late 
I'd come yeah. home, I'd have my dinner at 10 o'clock, yep. I'd be on the internet till 3 o'clock in the morning, I'd be back up at 6 to go and teach a class. Exactly the same for years. <laughs> and I, yeah, and do you know, for me, see like me going away and travelling, and yeah. I was kind of forced to come back. I knew I wanted to come back, but I wasn't ready to come back. But I, I think I've just still been living that lifestyle, hadn't I gone travelling? Because now, now I'm like, I kind of feel like a... I kind of feel like I've fallen a wee bit back in it in the last year where I've taken the job at the uni and I've been still running my own business. But I, that year that I was like 2018 when I was really sick before my surgery, I kind of ran my business into the ground and, you know, like I've skint and I had to get a job. So then I've kind of been building up again, but I've fallen back into that slightly and I'm like, I don't want to go back to that. And then I think like lockdown at the start, I thought it was a bad thing, but actually it's been a really good thing because it's made me slow down and be like, do you know what, actually I'm really not going back to that way of living. I'm not doing it. Um, but it's just, it's funny how like you just get on it with something else you were saying there about we learned all this and we know it all, but <laughs> don't really apply it to ourselves because I'll give you a prime example. I I don't think, I didn't think, if I was to think, I'm trying to how do I work this, if I was to think back to before my surgery, I wouldn't have really thought about the mental health aspect. This is the mental health, like detriment to my mental health that's had, right? Yeah. It was more, it was probably about, three months after my surgery, after I kind of started recovering and stuff, did it hit me that I was going to have like a lifelong condition? I kind of, I thought I was going to go in for surgery and come out and that was it. I was better. I didn't realise how bad it was because I didn't realise it could go everywhere like it was everywhere. Um, and that's when I started probably suffering from, I'm going to say bad anxiety because I believe everyone has anxiety to a certain degree and it can be good for you. Um, yep. But we studied things like this in our course as well. Like, in fourth year, we did things on anxiety. We did a bit of sports psychology. I knew all of this stuff, but I didn't apply anything that I learned to myself. <laughs> I was almost just trying to go along and I was putting it in the back of my head. And, you know, I kept saying, no, I don't think I've got anxiety. I don't think I've got anxiety. And then I was training. It must have been about around about that time I seen you and JD. And I was doing, like, exercises that wouldn't... I'm sure I was, like, deadlifting and it was, like, for me, a lightweight. And I did like six reps and I literally couldn't breathe and I felt like my heart was going to explode and I was like, oh, you've got anxiety. Do you know that way? You know when you just, I'm like, yeah. I've definitely, definitely got anxiety. So that was the first time I actually made myself realise that I did actually have it and not be putting it away to the side. And then I kind of hummed and hawed about it for a few months and didn't do anything about it. And then I thought I need to deal with this. So I actually went along and did like this little six week anxiety course for me but like not not for me to learn but for it to help me but I did I did learn at the same time but it was it was just interesting and fascinating because in this six weeks they didn't teach me anything that I didn't know yeah but it made me put it into play for myself and it made me actually realize it was it was like it was like a group setting so there was like 20 other people there and it made me realize that although we were all there for different reasons I wasn't the only person that was suffering from this mm -hmm. so that definitely helped me but uh, yeah as instructors for a long time, I'm not going to say now because I don't, I make sure I apply everything to myself now as often as I can, but for a long time, like years, I didn't. Yeah. You know, you're telling your clients to get eight hours of sleep and I was getting like four or five hours of sleep a night. <laughs> rest days are super important, everybody. You need to rest so that your body can come back and do this again in a couple of days. Rest day? Oh, <laughs> what's a rest day? <laughs> I classes a day. No, I know, definitely. <laughs> Yeah, I guess that comes with experience as well because as you get older you're like no actually I need to start applying these things to myself yeah totally with see with the anxiety 
did you experience it just as a physiological thing or were you aware that you were running maybe anxious thoughts in your head? At the start, I would say it was a physiological thing, but I would probably say in the, and maybe the last hour, I would say it started probably January 2019 when I started really properly feeling like I was experiencing it. And I'd probably say in the last, towards the end of last year to now, it's more of a, in my head, it is still there physically, but it's it's gave me other thoughts in my head. Yeah. No, the only reason I was asking was I had last year when my inflammation had come, gone up really badly, I was experiencing physical physiological symptoms of panic attacks. But in my head, I was like, "There's nothing wrong here." And when I spoke to my GP about it, he was like, "Panic attacks doesn't make sense because one of the other GPs had said it's probably it's." sounds like panic attacks because I was experiencing the symptoms in front of her and she did my blood pressure and checked my oxygen saturation and there was nothing wrong but I was like I feel like I can't breathe and I'm I feel like I'm my head's marshmallow and I'm going to collapse and stuff like that and she was like sounds like you're having a panic attack breathe into a paper bag and when I saw my regular GPs like but you're not an anxious person and I was like I know I'm not an anxious person but I'm still experiencing these physiological responses and I've spoken to the nurses at the hospital. I haven't spoken to my consultant about it yet because I don't see him until October. But I've said to them, I was like, I feel like my nervous system is jammed in the wrong gear and I can't change gear on it. And they go, mm, it's just the inflammation. It's actually fascinating you've said that because I've never thought about it from that point of view. And do you know when you said that then, I'm like, it's totally hit the nail on the head for me because I, I am like an overthinker, but I wouldn't say I was an anxious person either. And now you've said that, I'm like, that's weird because that's exact. It's just described how I am, basically, um, in the sense that I get all the symptoms, um, but some and sometimes I don't. Sometimes I don't know why I'm getting it. Um, yeah, I can like just be driving along the road and start feeling like, oh my god, I can't breathe, can't breathe, um, but for for no reason. Just I could be driving. Like it happened to me the other week when I was going out hill walk. Um, just driving there on my own, and then I have like feel like that I can't breathe and then what I tend to do is I start thinking about not being able to breathe and then I can't breathe yeah. even more and, and then, then that makes it worse think about something else yeah um, yeah but I actually just coming off the back of that I decided um I've hummed and hawed for about a year about doing again something else that I always recommend to other people but I hummed and hawed about going and doing some counselling um because I felt I needed help I did like the anxiety course, and I did a little a little bit of CBT straight after that course, but not a lot, and it helped me at the time because I felt like I needed, I don't know, I feel like I've come so far in, in a year even because I feel like last year I didn't really know what I was trying to, I knew that I wasn't right, but I didn't know what was wrong, like in relation yeah. to my mental health. Um, but now I, I know it all kind of stems from being ill and a few other things. But I hummed and hawed after that about going back and doing some more counselling. I was like, nah. And then I'm like, I really need help. And I don't know if this is something you experience. I struggle with the fact like that I was super fit and healthy and now I'm not. I've accepted that. But what I now struggle with is being fine one day, not the next. And at the moment I've been fine for about two weeks, but then six weeks before that I couldn't walk. I struggle with that. Like, so if I'm fine and I'm getting on well and my training's going well and I'm active and socialising, then all of a sudden I can't get out of my bed. So I did start doing some, um, I've been doing some online therapy just now so I've only done about five sessions but I feel like that's helping me and even just I think having somebody to talk to yeah so that's definitely helped enough 
found since I've been doing that I've not been as anxious either. Yeah, yeah. I think the whole world of counselling and therapy is undervalued. Um, before lockdown, I was on a waiting list to see somebody, like see somebody through the NHS, and at that point they were like, the waiting list is only twelve weeks, and then lockdown happened, and it was like, yeah, the everything's been put on pause, nobody's seen anybody, so we'll let you know when the the waitlist comes back. But for me, it was my, I spend a lot of time researching things and trying to piece the big picture together to try and get an idea. And my experience through the hospital, as brilliant as they are, their only job is to look at the research very specifically to Crohn's and the medication that will help suppress it. There's no bigger picture. There's There was a government, um, you know, they do these report things and it was back in 2014 about how IBD patients really suffer with mental health problems, with anxiety and depression. Now that could be a gut microbiome di disruption or it could be the inflammation or it could be the fact that their whole life has completely changed or it could be a combination of all of the above. And there was this Scotland leading the way on IBD in 2014, they're going to put this mental health stuff into place. It's 2020, and my consultant knows nothing about it. <laughs> it's like, what's going on? I know it's interesting you saying there as well that your waiting list obviously to be seen longer because I had like when this kicked off, so I kind of need to get. Um, I usually get a physio and a sports massage every month and I pay for that off my own back because I find that it helps me, keeps me, because I've got a lot of scar tissue and stuff, it keeps me more mobile. So it stops almost kind of, I believe that it helps with my inflammation, so therefore it stops my flare-ups as much. Yeah. Um, but I was due to get each of them when lockdown happened and I think that's why I then end up having such a bad flare-up with the stress. But I had two, three hospital appointments that were cancelled. I was also on the waiting list as well, which was why I then decided, do you know what, I actually really need to speak to somebody. So I went away and just paid for it. Um, but do you know, she's kind of brought out, she's not experienced in like endo or anything, but she's been good to chat to. And she's brought out the fact that one of the biggest things, issues that's going on with me, and she's helped me recognise, is that I felt like, so I feel like I used to be quite a confident person. I feel like I'm getting it back, but I think I lost a lot of confidence. And I thought it was because, I, th I think, still think part of it was because I was having, we'll call them accidents, where um, mm -hmm. I was like totally bleeding out. So this happened to me when I was PT in a client in the gym. Um, I passed out in a really busy gym at peak hour, like it was like half six or something, and it turned out I had like ruptured ovarian cysts. So that happened, or like things like being out for my friends with dinner for dinner, and then I would just like, soak through or whatever so I thought it was always that sort of thing that took away my confidence mm -hmm. but the more I speak to her about things she actually thinks it stems more from being told there was nothing wrong with me mm -hmm. she, you're going to these professionals who you're putting your trust in you think they know everything she's like on the flip of that you know your own body well and then you're letting these people tell you that there's nothing wrong with you but actually inside you know there's something wrong with you she's like so I, she thinks that's dented and that's taken more of my confidence away than the other um actual physical things that have happened yeah and so I totally feel now like I could be wrong but I'm like I'll never let him tell me <laughs> what I'm feeling do you know what I mean so yeah 100% because yeah. that comes down that comes down to not being seen like when somebody when you say to somebody this is what I'm experiencing and they tell you no it's not and they're a, a medical professional 
then that's if you've ever experienced that as a child and this is a lot of the stuff that Gabor Matty talks about when it comes to trauma it's like it's not what happens to you it's how you perceive that inside so if you've ever experienced something like that as a small child where you didn't get seen and I did a video about this the other day about how when I used to have tantrums my mum would put me out in the hall and just ignore ignore me because I like I had epic tantrums I remember some of my tantrums that's how bad they were um and she was just like that you're I'm not putting up any any of your nonsense but what you do as a small child is you either are authentic which is what the tantrum is or you create attachment so if your authenticity is not acknowledged then you switch over to attachment for survival so if you then speak out and somebody dismisses that, that's your authenticity taken away. So you then go back to attachment. And that's all underlying trauma, trauma and stuff. So any experience you have as an adult takes you back to that time as a child and it's your nervous system that's remembering. It's not necessarily a mental recall, but your body knows it. It's definitely interesting you've said that because my last session with her, we started, that was the first time we started speaking about my childhood. And I would never have thought, you know, five, six weeks ago when I went to her that any of this was anything to do with that. Um, so it'll be interesting to see where that goes as well. Um, yeah. I actually met, um, just speaking of the whole counsellor thing, I, we, we studied, obviously we did a bit of sports psychology, you know, we know a bit about that side of things as well. And I mm-hmm. met... Um, when I was in Indonesia so I was in Sumatra I was in the jungle going to do this um, orangutan trip thing and I met this girl she was on her own I was on my own and you know when you're away you've done a lot of traveling you can know somebody a day but you get so close to folk we only spent like two weeks together but in that two weeks like she spoke a lot about she was probably one of the happiest positive upbeat people I've ever come across you know those people who have just got such good vibe and you're buzzing after you leave them yeah she constantly spoke about how before she came away traveling she did all this therapy and she was talking about the different types of therapy she did and blah blah blah. and then her reason for going to therapy wasn't because you know because I think nowadays counseling and stuff thought of you go if you're depressed or you're down or anything like that but she was literally like now I was so happy in my life she's like I just wanted to improve myself and she was like I believe that no matter where you are in your life like whether you're sad, whether you're down, whether you're really happy, whether you're doing really well, she's like, you can benefit from going to that. And I think that one conversation totally changed even my opinion on it. I was probably quite naive about it as well. Mm-hmm. So I totally think that now as well. Everyone can benefit from it. 100%. 100%. And there's really good um, therapists out there. I had Amanda Trainer, who's Mrs. Brain Trainer, on the podcasts. And that just came out on Monday there, so it'll be two weeks from when this one comes out. Um, and she she says that she's like your brain can always be trained to be better even if you're in an amazing place why not go to the next level oh totally um do you know what just going back to the instagram page as well because i'm thinking more about why i created it i am um, going back to like when we were chatting about support and stuff as well and i felt like i was told probably you were the same you're told what's wrong with you on you go that's you yep. you've just surgery and you're just left to deal with it um, i joined like a couple of um Facebook groups um, because I felt like they would be support for me like if other people are experiencing the same thing you know like export um, support but what I actually experienced and I've just recently come out of some of the groups is I just experienced that it was just so negative and I get that it's a hard um, condition to live with and it's really painful and some days I am quite negative I'm not constantly upbeat I'm 
you know, I, I wouldn't really say I was negative. I, I try and be real. Do you know what I mean? I try and be real with everyone, so I'd probably say I'm realistic. Um, but some days are shit with it, and sorry, am I allowed to swear? <laughs> yes, of course, it's me. <laughs> this, um, <laughs> children are listening. Um, so yeah, some days are just absolute shit, and I, I wouldn't lie to anyone, but what I experienced from being in these groups was it was just, you know, every day, just all this negativity, and I thought, there's got to be some positive folk out there, and I can't really come across, I've came across a few folk on Instagram who are now following, and they've got podcasts and stuff, and they listen, and they're a bit more positive, and I thought, I just want to create a page where I can share my story, if people want to listen to it, they can, and it's not taking over my own business page, um, it's also an outlet, and it helps with my anxiety as well for when I'm chatting about it, but it's also to share some positivity, and to let people know, like, one of the things I was told was that I wouldn't squat again because of where it was on sciatic nerve and all that. And I'm like, do you know what? Can't really back squat. Now and again, I feel all right to back squat. Can't really back squat. But I'm like, I can front squat. I can squat. Goblet squat. I can do it. And I just yeah. want to share these things with folk because I think people think when you've got something so serious wrong with you that if a doctor tells you you can't do something, you, that's it. You don't do it. But you need to just listen to your own body more. And if you feel like you can do it, you can do it. I mean, now I'm in the mindset of not so rigid I love to do weights but I'm not rigid with it because I feel like when I put pressure on myself to train four times a week weightlifting and if my body's not mobile enough or just now like my pelvis is not in a great place so I've not been doing much of it if I put that pressure on myself I feel like I let almost let myself down so what I do now is I'm like see if I get up every day regardless of how I'm feeling and do something then that's all that matters so it might be like an hour walk it might be like 20 minutes yoga it might be an hour and a half of weightlifting, but I just do something for how I'm feeling that day. And I think that's had the biggest positive impact on my own mental health. Um, because I was kind of stuck in a way for a while where, yeah, I love to weight train. So I was just like, I can't weight train, so I'm not doing anything. And I was like that for about six months last year. And I'm like, no, you can still do stuff. Um, and I'd always kind of dabbled in and out of yoga. And now I'm like loving yoga and I'm studying it and stuff as well. So I'm like, do you know what? Like, yeah, um, it's just made me find other things and I do what I can do each day. Um, but I always do something every day, even if it is just like a, a walk to get my steps in. And I think that's the most positive thing for folk. And that's something I recently spoke to a girl on my Instagram page, contacted me and was asking me about my training and stuff. And I, she was like scared to train because of her endometriosis because um, a doctor had actually told her that it could get worse if she trained, um, which... I'm not a specialist, I don't really know, but you'll know yourself that um, exercise is a natural painkiller. So if you're, so yeah. like, the days that I'm in pain, so when I'm saying to you, like, I could barely get out of bed for six weeks and walk, I made myself get up and walk because after 10 minutes of moving about, the pain was less, it was better. Yeah. Um, so I think it's just also just needing to take, like, your own advice. And, yeah, I just want to share that with folks so they know that, do you know what, there is light at the end of the tunnel, so to speak, and you can do stuff. Yeah, there needs to be more of that. Cause I, I mean, I was similar. I've, I mean, I've not been on a spin bike since I got, since just before I got diagnosed because, and I've tried, but for me, there's a bit of a trigger in there. There's And there's a bit of fear of, I used to do this loads and then I got sick. If I do this again, it's going to put too much stress on it. So I've had to completely change the way I, I train. And I now I'm Pilates and yoga and I go out for walks. 
I've taken the high intensity stuff completely out and now I'm like actually I want to do a wee bit of more cardiovascular stuff just to improve my fitness because I'm not anywhere near as fit as I once was but there was there's always that sort of for me definitely there's always that underlying fear because when I'm in pain I can't even push a door open yeah yeah that's probably, that's probably a total different type of pain for me interesting you saying about um teaching spin though because that was um last year one of the first things I had to stop I'd stopped home impact like years ago but um in relation to te- intense classes that was one of the first things I had to kind of give up so obviously I taught quite a lot for the uni um, and I cut it down they're obviously really good to work for and yeah. really accommodating so like I cut it down to start with and there were some days where there was a Thursday where I was doing like four classes and then I cut it to two and then it was kind of cut to doing a class a day and then it was cut to like two classes a week and then just before lockdown I didn't teach any for about four months um, and I think that I don't know if I have my own theory don't really know if it's right but I think being on the saddle and getting sweaty and stuff seems to irritate me and cause some sort of flare up whether it be in relation to the bacteria like stuff like that so I was having to make sure I was getting showered straight away and stuff but I also that was causing some sort of flare up from there but I was also feeling like I would teach like a 30 minute um, revolve class and be floored for the rest of the day like absolutely floored even if I put like my digits down and stuff do you know what I mean so it wasn't as hard yeah. for me um, I was still absolutely floored um, and I think definitely having this downtime I hated it at the start because I'm so fast paced but I'm like I actually love it now and I'm like do I need to go back to all that <laughs> I know I know that's how I'm having a conversation with loads of people now. They're like, I've really enjoyed not being 24-7 and frantic all the time. Mm-hmm. Like, we'll see when you're coming back out of it. You have got complete autonomy to say no. <laughs> like, this is a word we all have to learn to use is no, that doesn't work for me. <laughs> I need to get better with that because I'm I'm constantly like, do you know, I realised that it's something I put a post on about a while ago, a few months ago. Um, I feel like we've just totally lost five months, by the way, because... I still feel like lockdown just happened. It's just been, but I'm like, it's, <laughs> it's still I, happening. I know. After about, after about, I think, three or four months or something, I put a post up and I said, so I was just chatting about how at the start of lockdown, um, so my dad's high risk and I live with him, so I was doing everything for him, which obviously you do, because you do what you do. Um, yeah. So I was doing everything for my family. We've got a dog, so I was taking him out. And then I was doing everything for all my clients. So I was doing everything to help with the uni I was doing everything to help girls at the studio or whatever and um, just whatever I had to do I was just helping everybody and then one yep. day I sat down and I was like what about me <laughs> yeah like, what, what if I, I almost about had a meltdown one day and I was like you know fuck this shit I was like I need to do me <laughs> me yeah I was like for, just completely forgot about myself for about four months um so I've kind of the past one stuff you put myself a wee bit first and one of my friends, Rachel, she's been doing like a couple of my, all my classes are online, but she's been doing a couple of them for me so I can have a couple of days off because I was doing classes every day again because I felt like I had to help everybody have something to help them. But then I was like, well, I'm now back to doing, and it might only been two classes, but I was now back to working every day. And I was like, no, I need to take some downtime and lockdown because let's face it, I don't, I don't ever know if I'm going to retire at this rate. So this is probably all the, the break I'm going to get. It's been good to slow down. Yeah, I think I did, and I did a similar thing at the start of lockdown. Was I went into I need to be busy all day, every day. Mm-hmm. Signed up for loads of courses. Yep. Put 
kept my timetable exactly as it had been, was reaching out to everybody, wanting to have conversations, wanting to have Zoom chats with everybody. And by the time it was coming to what I have as my days off, I was like, oh my God, I'm actually going to collapse. And isn't really a day off, is it? No, because when you're on your own business, you're always thinking about something. So I have to really consciously go, no, do you know what? I'm just going to sit and watch Netflix all day. Yeah. <laughs> because that's the only way I can get my brain to switch off. So yes, I'm numbing my mind and numbing my brain, but I'm doing it really consciously. It's not a habit of I just get up and switch it on. It's like, no, I need to do this because otherwise I'm going to drive myself mental. Or it's like, you know, when folk, your clients are just people message you and I think, right, I'm not working, don't reply. But it sits here and yeah. I'm like, I should just reply. And then I'm like, no, you're not working, don't reply. Slap <laughs> your battle. Um, and I started being like, do you know what, see if it's an emergency, I'll reply. But if it's not an emergency, you can wait and you can wait a day or two days. Yeah. It's not a requirement, but yeah, it's interesting. It's good to hear that I'm not alone. <laughs> <laughs> no, but there's, there's more of us out there. That's good. <laughs> Is there anything else you want to talk about before we wrap up? Um, I took some notes. I don't think so. Um, now, nah, the only thing I would say, um, if anybody's listened to this that has endometriosis or thinks they have endometriosis, is to not doubt yourself. Um, to believe mm. in yourself and you know your own body better than any doctor knows your own body. And also to remember that everything you read online, so if there's symptoms you read online, you won't have all those symptoms, you might have all of them. You might actually have other symptoms that aren't listed on like the NHS symptom list, for example. So yeah. really just to believe in yourself. And the biggest thing I didn't do was like push it enough. Um, I wasn't ever one for going to the doctor. So when I had to start going and they were telling me there was nothing wrong with me, I kind of just kept leaving it until like I passed out from the cyst rupturing or whatever. Um, but the more I pushed it, um, the further I got so all my recommendations for folk would just be not to leave it if you don't think there's something right and I guess that goes with absolutely anything and if you don't feel like there's something right to go and seek out help to find out what's going on or fix that and also just yeah going back to the counselling and therapy that I think it's good for MD to do at any point in their life regardless of how you're feeling yeah absolutely wait what the fit girl endo page is it it's got underscores in it somewhere, hasn't it? It's a bit of a pain in the backside because I couldn't get a good name. So it's basically, <laughs> I will read it out to you. Um, I wanted it without anything. So it's fit underscore girl underscore with underscore endo 07. Cool. I will put the link to it in the show notes so that people can just click on it. Yeah, that. you can give your stuff. That'd be good. Yeah. Cool. All right. Thank you so much for being on the podcast and sharing all that information. I hope when we actually listen to it back, it makes sense. Because I feel like we've just, I've done a typical, I just go off on tangents and talk. But I guess that's a good thing. If, you, if you've listened to any of my other podcasts, you'll know that tangents are something that we do. <laughs> I'm pleased. I'm pleased. I love a tangent. <laughs> Thank you very much for having me on. It's been good. It's been good for me to see how it works as well, because I'd be keen on doing my own. So thank you for... That. look forward to hearing that i'll get you on <laughs> thanks for listening and remember to leave a review and subscribe over on itunes or soundcloud and check out what's going on at iamjenwilson.com or head over to instagram and give us a follow just following iam.jenwilson